If you've got your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, please open up the Word of God to Luke chapter 19, verse 11 through 27 is what we're going to be reading. And as you're opening up in your Word, I want to just take a real quick statement uh, about the value of them both amendment that was not passed. We prayed that it would be uh, last week. Uh, real quick, here's my encouragement to us as the church. We are still to be the church. The value of them both amendment does not change our responsibility as the people of God to proclaim the gospel to those who need it, to love mothers, single mothers, women in crisis pregnancies, and all kinds of other spaces, to be the body of Christ, to continue to care for and love those people, proclaim the gospel, bring orphans and foster kids into our homes, and to be the body of Christ. And so church, don't be dismayed. This world is in many ways going to get darker, which allows more opportunity for us to be the light of Christ. Amen? And so let's do that. Let's not um, look to that as a failure, but as an opportunity for us as the people of God to really step in and lean in and serve more, minister more, pray more, speak out more, care for those that are in those types of situations more. Let's continue to be the people of God. So with that encouragement, let's turn our attention to the Word of God and our text for this morning, which is Luke 19. I'm going to invite up Hannah Rude to read for us uh, out of his Word. If you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. And Hannah, I will pass it off to you. Good morning, church family. All right, Luke 19, 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went out into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more minas. And he said to them, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man, and you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in a bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who already has ten. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
All right, so as we jump into this text, I want to start off with a little bit of a historical background because when Jesus is going into Jerusalem and he shares this story or this parable to his disciples, uh, this kind of a situation would not have been abnormal to them. So just really specifically, historically, four years, for example, before Jesus was born, Herod the Great passed away. You probably heard of Herod the Great as the king of Israel during those days. He was the king that Caesar had put in place or had, was kind of the vassal king of Israel. Well, when Herod the Great died, he had two sons. One was Antipas and one was Archelaus. Well, Archelaus was the son that Herod the Great wanted to step into the reigning position. And so Archelaus stepped into the position. He did it before Caesar had actually granted him that position. He stepped in anyway, and his first act, or one of his first acts, was to look out upon the Jewish people who didn't want him to reign. They wanted to have Antipas reign instead, and he killed about 3,000 Jews as one of his first acts. Now, in panicking, Archelaus decided that what he needed to do was go to Rome and go to Caesar so that Caesar could officially appoint him as king. This is something that happened all the time in those days. And so Archelaus did that. And as was typical of the day, there was a delegation that was sent from the people of Israel, specifically some family members from Antipas and people within Israel that didn't want Archelaus to reign over them. And that delegation went with Archelaus to Caesar to say, we don't want him to reign over us. Put someone else in his stead. Well, history tells us that Caesar went ahead and, and appointed Archelaus as king over Israel. Didn't last very long because as he went back, he ruled with a heavy hand, and ultimately they ended up kicking him out. Now, again, this is the kind of situation that was very normal when you had an emperor like Rome or like, like Caesar over all of these other places where he would put kings in place to rule for Rome. Someone would die, and then he would have to appoint them. And so Jesus tells this story within a context of the people fully understanding all that is, is happening as Jesus is telling this story. And so he tells it for a couple of reasons. One, he tells us because he is going to Jerusalem. And while the disciples didn't know it yet, Jesus is about to be set upon the throne of the kingdom of God. In a sense of the process of dying on the cross and being raised up to new life, like that is the process that God was ordaining to actually declare Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Jesus knows this, and so he's beginning to help them understand what's about to take place in Jerusalem. But he also does it because he wants them to understand what the expectation is for those that who would say they want to follow after him. And so go back to the, the, the parable again real quick, and let's just look at it and paraphrase it. A nobleman goes to a far-off land to receive his kingship. So in other words, he's in this land, and he leaves the land to receive his kingship, right? To be declared king by maybe a Caesar. We're not told where or who it is that's going to put him in that place, but he leaves the land, and he calls his servants, he calls his slaves to him, and he gives them the task of doing business for him while he is gone. Now, what we're told in this story is that there's a group of people within that land that did not want this nobleman to rule over them. They were shaking their fists at him, saying, we don't want him to reign over us. And so they, like the people of Archelaus' day, sent a delegation with the nobleman to say, don't put him in place. Don't put him in place. Well, we know in the story that the nobleman puts up with this delegation. He listens to him. He doesn't do anything, unlike Archelaus. He doesn't push back. He doesn't kill them. He just deals with it, goes to the far-off land, and he is appointed king. And he returns, 
And his first act is to come to his servants whom he left and say, have you been faithful? Have you been faithful to continue to do the business in which I have told you to do when I left? The other thing he comes back to do is to deal with his enemies. Now, as we get into the specifics of what this is and what it means for us and what the emphasis that Jesus is trying to give to us as his people, I want to make sure that we clearly see who is represented in this parable. So for, there's four representations that I want us to be aware of. One, the nobleman represents Jesus. He is the king who is about to be given the kingdom. It's important to see that like this nobleman, Jesus is the giver of gifts. He is the giver of gifts, all gifts. And those gifts are intended to do the business of his kingdom. It's also important for us to note that there is going to be a season that it appears that he is not present. So there's this moment where the king, the nobleman goes off and he's declared king. He's appointed king. But from the time he's appointed king to the time he returns back to the land, while he is still king, it seems as though he's not there. Now, we look back at this, and we can see this based on the fact that Jesus is appointed king at the death and resurrection, but we are now waiting for him to return, are we not? Waiting for him to come and to say, like, this is mine, and to consummate his kingdom. And so the nobleman represents Jesus, and the kingdom represents Jesus' reign. It's representative of everything that is going to be given to Jesus to watch over, to reign over, to govern, to rule, to maintain This has been given to him. Jesus says as much in Matthew 28, in verse 19. He says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. His kingdom has now been given to him. That's the other representation. But then we see two groups of people. We see the slaves and we see the enemies. The slaves represent those who confess this king to be king. I pray that as many of us in this room. These are those people throughout history, starting with the disciples, that have believed in him, that have put their faith in him, that have confessed him to be their Lord. That's who is represented by these slaves. We're going to talk about what they do and how they do it and the expectations that God has for them. But we need to see that this is potentially and hopefully us. But then there's the other group, the enemies, those who would refuse his reign. I like this parable because it reminds us there's only two categories of people in this world, isn't there? There's the people who will submit themselves to the reign of the king, and there's the people who will refuse to submit themselves to the reign of the king. There is no in-between. There is no people who are kind of in one category and the other, or one foot in and one foot out. No, you're either his servant or you're his enemy. That is it. These are the people throughout history who have refused refused God as their king, refused God, the creator of all things, as their king over them. Now, as we begin to now turn in and to look at this parable, the first question we have to ask is, who are you? Who would you consider yourself to be? Are you a slave? Are you a servant? Are you one who has said, like, he's my king, he's my God, he's my Lord, I I owe everything to him? Or are you the enemy, a type of person who would shake your fist at God and say, I will not let you dictate to me? 
what I should do? It's an important question. As we look at that, there's an emphasis for both groups of people. Jesus is communicating some things to those who would call themselves his and those who would shake their fists at him and say, I will not be yours. And so I'm going to start by looking at the emphasis that Jesus is making to those that are, that, that even in this day, that would say that they are his, that they are following after him, that they are his slaves, that they are his servants. The first emphasis is that there is an expectation of faithfulness to his business. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in him and your allegiance to Jesus, to our risen God, then he has given you a minus. And that mina is the gift of grace. He's given that to every one of us, amen? Like that's part of the gift that we've been given. It's something that we've, it's a treasure. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's like a pearl of great price. Like it's this beautiful thing of grace and mercy that he has bestowed upon us through the work of Jesus Christ. But here's what's unique about this mina of grace that he's given to us. That mina now turns everything that you and I physically have also into a mina that is supposed to be used for him and his glory. Because it is all from his hand. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, your car, your home, your TV, your phone, your kids, your internet, your health, your retirement, your clothes, your computer, your talents, every single thing that you have been given by God should now be seen as a mina from the Father for his business, not yours. Now, here's the thing. We might say, well, non-believers have all these things, don't they? Like if you're in this place right now and you, you consider yourself an atheist, you also have a car, I hope, and a house, I hope, and, and health, I hope. Like, isn't it true that non-believers have all these things as well? The answer is yes, of course it's true, but there's a massively distinct difference between the non-believer and for us as believers. For us, or for the non-believer, let's start with them, their minas, their gifts, they're simply temporal things. They have no investment potential for those things. Meaning that whatever they get from them now is what they're going to get from them forever. Once they're gone, they're gone. For the believer, we have this door opened to us to take all of those things that you have now, that I have now, that have been given to us by God, and use them as an investment for his kingdom, for his glory. That's a big difference, isn't it? Everything we have has been given to us, which leads us to the second emphasis that Jesus is making with this parable. The gift of the mina is not the measure of God's blessing. It is a test. Let me say it again. The gift of the mina is not the measure of God's blessing. It is a test. So if you have a beautiful multi-million dollar house as a believer in Jesus Christ, like that is not to be seen as the blessing. That is to be seen as something he has given to you to see whether you'll be faithful with it or not for his kingdom and for his glory. The car that you drove into is a gift that he has given for you to use, but that car is not the blessing 
The car is an opportunity for you to invest in the kingdom of God where your real and true blessing is actually found. Everything we have is now part of a test of whether we will be faithful or not. For us, as believers, everything we've been given, we are simply stewards of. And as stewards, there is a requirement for us to be found trustworthy and faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says that. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Do you recognize this test? Do you see the test that we have in the wealthiest country that has probably ever lived and existed upon this planet? We have been given a tremendous test. With all of the gifts that we have, will we be faithful to use them for his business or simply for ours? See, the more that we have been given, the greater the test of our faithfulness. The more we have been given, the greater the test of our faithfulness. The more talents that God has given, the greater the test of how you will use those talents. We use them for your gain or for God's gain. The more intelligence that you're given, the greater the test. How will you use that intelligence? How will you use that gift? We use it for his kingdom or we use it for yours? The bigger the home that you're given, the greater the test. We use it simply for yourself or you use it for his kingdom. The greater health that you are given, the greater the test. Will you use that health for his kingdom or will you use that health to build more and more and more of your own kingdom? Every single thing that a person who declares is a servant of Jesus is given these gifts and it is a test to our faithfulness regarding how we will use those things. Third emphasis of this parable is the emphasis on engagement of the business, not the gain. The first two servants were given different gifts. They were given different tests, but both used them for his business, and both were honored. And and not only were they honored for it, but they received the real treasure in the kingdom of heaven. As faithful servants, we cannot always know what the results of our work for his kingdom will be. In fact, We are not in charge of those fruits. He is. We are in charge of our faithfulness. I think of someone like Jim Elliott. Many of you know who Jim Elliott was. He was a missionary. He was a missionary to uh, the the place of Papua New Guinea, I believe. I think that's where it was. Um, But uh, he was a missionary there, and he was going to go serve a group of unreached peoples that were actually a cannibalistic tribe. And Jim Elliott literally goes into this place and flies in, and as he gets out of the plane, is basically killed at the very beginning of his ministry. And you say, what a waste. He never saw the fruits of any ministry. He never saw any gain from his ministry. But yet he gave everything he had for the business of the king. And it wasn't until years later, through his wife's faithfulness, Elizabeth Elliot to go back into that people who killed her husband and share the gospel that we saw the entire tribe actually come to faith in Jesus. So see, the point isn't about how much we're going to gain, especially in this world. The point isn't to judge our own fruitfulness based off those things. We are faithful to engage in his business and trust him for the fruit. Amen? And listen, it doesn't mean that if you are somebody who works in the kids' ministry and you slave and you work and you serve over and over and over again, but you never lead someone to faith in Jesus, that your service is any less important than the one who happens to be privileged to lead one of those kids to Christ. 
because it's about the engagement of his business and trusting the fruit to him. And so the promise of this parable for the servants of God is that you and I, we cannot anticipate the results of our work for him, but we can rest assured that our real treasure will be beyond our ability to comprehend. I mean, just think of what is given to these things, these, these servants. The one with 10 gets 10 more. The one with five gets five more. A mina, by the way, is about three months worth of wages. So for example, the second servant was given a year and a month of wage, and in return for that and faithfully use it, he was given two and a half years of wages. But you know what else he was given? Five cities. I don't even know how, like, that correlation makes no sense to me. The point what Jesus is making is like, what I'm going to give you if you're faithful with what I give you in this world is far beyond what you can comprehend. You think you're giving up money, I'll give you a city. You think you're giving up your time, city. The point is, our gain is not about further blessing here. It is about our position and our pleasure and our closeness to the king in the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. So the emphasis is, not on, the engage, is on the engagement of the business, not the gain or the fruits that we think we see. Fourth emphasis, don't be the third slave. Seems like common sense, right? Don't be the third slave. Like none of us want to be that guy. The third slave, though, interestingly enough, is one who seeks to identify with the king. He isn't outright rebellious against him. He's not saying, I don't want you to rule over me. He's told everybody that this is my king, this is my servant. But yet, he is unwilling to take any risks. He's unwilling to take risks of faith for fear that he might lose what he has been given. I think this is a warning against a Christianity that is simply content to have the mind of grace. I just got grace. I don't need to take any steps of faith. I don't need to do anything else. I've, I've got grace. And as long as I do this, then, and as long as I tend to my own salvation, then God will be pleased with me. I think this can be a real danger for all of us. It can be a real danger for us to justify all the reasons why we shouldn't step out in places of faith. And I, I can see this in my own life. I'm grateful for the gifts God has given to me. Shouldn't I be able to enjoy them? I don't feel like I should step out and risk because what if I step out wrong and I step out into a place that isn't his will for my life? See, I've forgotten the points about the work, not the gain. I found myself at times afraid that I'm going to lose what I have. I found myself afraid of what others might think of me. They might look at me strangely. They might mock me. They might question me. And what I find about all these justifications interesting is in this parable, the servants of the king are left to be in the presence of all of the enemies that don't want him reigning over them. Can you imagine the mocking and the berating and the persecution that these servants are going about as they try to use these minas for the glory of their soon-to-be king, the one that they hope to come back and reign over them, as the others are saying, you fool, we sent the delegation, he's never going to reign over us, and yet they had to do what they had to do. They had to be faithful. 
So brothers and sisters, if we are going to be faithful to use the things that God has given to us in this world for the kingdom and for the glory of God, this world will hate you. Because it goes against everything this world stands for. Because everything this world says that your house is for you, and that's for your comfort, and it's for your happiness, it's for your betterment. That money in your bank, that's for you. That's for your comfort. That's for your betterment. Those talents that God gave you, the ability to sing or to be an accountant, that's for you and making your kingdom better. And if you use those in a way that's contrary to what the world would say, they will look at us like we are fools. We are to be fools for the kingdom of God. That's the expectation for us. In the midst of his enemies, we are to be faithful. We are to be faithful. We don't know what these servants did to engage in business. It doesn't give us the specifics, which I'm grateful for, because each person here, each servant that's here has been given unique gifts And through prayer and reading of the word, the spirit of God that he has given to each of us in this place, he will work work out his good works in each of us differently. And I love that. There is no X, Y, or Z, meaning this. I can't stand up here and tell you all, like, this is exactly how you should use your money. This is exactly how you should use your house. This is exactly how you should use your time. That's between you and the Lord. The question is, are you going to be faithful with those things? So let's get really practical. Is there going to be a faithfulness in your life to use your energy for his business? We all have a certain level of energy, don't we? We all have a certain level of capacity, and everyone in this space is different. Some of us in this place, I I know some of them myself, that you love to be with people. You can be with a giant crowd of people all day long, and then when that's over, you can go serve in a VBS, and then when that's over, you can have people into your home, and you're still feeling like wired, ready to go. My daughter is like that. I am not. Right? Like we all have different levels of capacity. Some of you have experienced like challenges with social anxiety, or you get worn out because you're an introvert, and so it's harder for you. And so here's the point. It isn't whether or not you do this much or this much. It's whatever God has given to you, in your energy and in your capacity, will you use it for him? Will you use it for him? Because he says, listen, maybe you're somebody that struggles with fatigue and social anxieties and you can only serve the Lord in these small areas. You know what the promise is for you? If you are faithful with little, he will give you much. For those of you who are extroverts and man, you can just bounce from one thing to the next and feel like you never sleep at all, guess what? If you are faithful, what he has given to you, he will give you more. This is a beautiful promise for all of God's people. I love it. God does not condemn us for caring for ourselves or for our own needs, but he calls us to be mindful of what we can do to faithfully serve and use our energy for his kingdom and for his business. Is there a faithfulness in your life to use your home for his business? Are you hospitable? Are you intentionally bringing your kids' friends into the home so you can disciple them, love them, give them a place to see Christ? Do you use your home to house missionaries as they come in? Do you use your home to bring in foster kids or orphan children? Do you use your home to house the, or host a house church or dinners for the lost? Or maybe you use your home to be a peaceful place for your spouse. It isn't about what you do with your home, but whatever you do, do it for him. 
Your home is not your home. Your home is something he has given for you to steward for his kingdom. We are to be faithful not only for our, with our energy in our home, but with our talents. Do you sing? Are you an artist? Do you love to work with video? Do you play an instrument? Do you dance? Do you have giftings towards administration, towards finances? Some of you love numbers. I don't. Some of you love to strategize. Some of you love to debate. Some of you love to talk. Are you using those talents, those gifts for his kingdom? My mom will tell you, I had a gift to talk. Every teacher who taught me in Sunday school who is still in this building will tell you, I had a gift to talk. Am I going to use that gift to talk for my own benefit or for the kingdom of God? Well, I'm here talking to you, right? So that's the goal, right? It doesn't matter what yours is. Mine's not better than yours. The question is, will you use your talents for his business or will you use your talents for your kingdom? Because he's given it to you. Will you use your thoughts for his business? Are you taking every thought captive, thinking about what is good and honorable and right and true? One of our elders gave me a a book recently by Louis Giglio, and I've begun reading and haven't finished it, but it's about the spiritual war that goes on inside of our heads. And it's titled, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And the whole premise is that if you allow a thought of greed or anger or lust or envy to sit into your mind, to take root into your mind without a fight, you are giving the enemy a seat at your table to rule over you to master you? Are your thoughts for his business? It doesn't matter whether or not anybody else can see them. He sees them. He knows them. What about your time? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Even as we talked a few weeks ago about snatching up our time and using it for his kingdom, as you walked away from that sermon, have you made changes in your life to use your time more consistently for his kingdom? If you didn't, today is the chance for you to do that. Because he's giving you time. Brothers and sisters, none of us know how much longer we have. He does. Will you use it for him or will you use it for yourself? Don't think that your age and your youthfulness is any indication of how much time you have left. I have watched in the pastorship young children pass away terrible shock to everybody. We do not know how long we have. Will we use our time for his business? And one that makes us all very uncomfortable is the question is, will we be faithful with our money and our wealth? Our money and our wealth for his business. Here's the thing. We can get really testy about the idea of giving our money to the church And we can even get more testy if the church leadership somehow expresses that this is an expectation of the people of God to give to the church. The ministry and the work that happens in this place, at this 29th and Rock Road Central Christian Church, shouldn't be seen as a community service that we consume and that we're entitled to, but a place for us as the people of God to pool God's minas together for the king and for his glory. Amen? like all of your talents, but that includes your money and your wealth. And I know so many people will say, well, I'm not going to give to the church because the church isn't trustworthy. You know what? Sometimes that's true. 
Say, I'm not gonna give to the church because the church doesn't care about the things that I care about. And you know what? That may be true at times. Some of you might hear, I can't afford to give to God right now. Brothers and sisters, that is never true. That is never true. You may say, well, God doesn't need my money. That's also true. But here's what God has done. God has ordained that his people give of their wealth generously so that the body of Christ can minister and meet the needs of those inside and outside of the church. And to do anything else, and I hate to say this, but it's true, is disobedience. We are not to be consumers of what happens in a building on Sunday morning. We are to be participants. And that includes with our wealth and includes with our finances. One of the things I wanted to do uh, as we step into this is I want to spend a moment to testify to what God can do through the specific works uh, of when people pool their resources, things that you who give to the church will never, ever know. And so we're going to read a few testimonies here in just a second. And some of these testimonies are anonymous testimonies, and some of them are being read by the people themselves. And I think you'll see the difference. But I'm going to invite Matt Swank up, who's uh, one of our leaders over at at CCA, to begin reading some of these testimonies. And I want you to hear the fruit of ministry that you are participating in as you give of your wealth to this body. Matt, I'll pass it off to you, brother. All right. I'll be sharing an anonymous testimony from a family that was able to send their kids to CCA through the church's help. Well, there are many people who have walked through public school system, the public school system without losing their faith, having personal experience seeing what is being taught and how kids are being formed. We desperately wanted our kids to have an education wrapped in biblical worldview world that will help, them prepare, will help prepare them for the road to life. As we looked and pondered how we would be able to put multiple kids through Christian education at Central Christian Academy, we quickly realized that God would have to move mountains to allow us to see this come to pass for our kids. Upon joining Central Christian Church, we were told of a grant program for church members, which we quickly applied for that would help cover some of the cost. And God provided. It was amazing for us to see Daily, the fruit God is bearing in our kids' lives through the Christ-like influence of godly teachers, administrators, and other Christian parents and other Christian kids. However, in some ways, it is even more amazing to see the real example of the church in Acts as, others, as other brothers and sisters are giving to the church, allowing the elders and leaders to help families like ours that could never afford this cost on our own. It is a privilege to say thank you to our church family for participating in the work of the Spirit in our kids' lives. We could not be more grateful to this body. Sincerely, your brother and sister and co-laborer in the Lord. Hello, uh, I'm Herbie Harris and this is my wife Phyllis. We just want to thank the church for helping us to experience our trip to Poland to help others, especially as we have watched the Ukrainian-Russian war unfold on our televisions. Even though most of our visit was physical labor, there were times during meals and activities with children 
and nightly chapel services that we could listen to the brokenhearted stories about the loss of everything. It made evident to us of how good we have it here in America. As we ministered with the refugees, the presence of the Holy Spirit seemed to be spiritually healing those involved in this tragedy, which will be, which will be a continual process for years to come. Without the generous monetary giving through the church, this trip would not have been possible. Your thoughts and prayers through text, emails, and prayers we didn't even know we were receiving were a great inspirational encouragement for both of us. It's great to know that we, as the body of Christ here at Central Christian Church, are actively involved in the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ here and around the world. Thank you. This is an anonymous testimony. As a single mother, finances were always tight. My desire was, and still is, to be a good steward over all that God has given to me. However, unplanned circumstances, car repairs, medical fees, you name it, weren't really in my budget. As I recall a particularly difficult season of my life where I was attending school, working full time, and paying for childcare and tuition at a private Christian school, I remember many moments of worry, anxiety, and desperate cries out to God because I just could not carry it all, neither emotionally nor financially. Though I'd seen God's faithfulness through and through, I really struggled with doubt. I was during this time, I was introduced to the benevolence ministry at CCC. I went to the pastor overseeing this ministry at the time, and I told him my need. I remember being overwhelmed with joy because through them, the Lord provided for us. I've never experienced God's provision through the church body in this way prior to what I experienced on this day, being loved well through the giving of brothers, sisters, and overseers of our church was really a blessing to my daughters and me. Our trust in the Lord's sovereignty, protection, and provision increased greatly because of the church being the church. Furthermore, it taught me to be more obedient and a cheerful giver because I experienced the impact and blessing of receiving. I am eternally grateful for our church body and this ministry for coming alongside me and my family with all my joy and love. This is an anonymous testimony from a family in our church. Our family has attended Central Christian Church since 2014. This is where we first learned the significance and necessity of tithing. We have been on both sides of blessing through giving and receiving. We would love to share the ways that the Lord has used Central and the church body to financially help our family. In 2015, I was given a 50% scholarship to travel for a missions trip to Honduras by the church. Additionally, an anonymous donor gifted me $500 towards the remaining balance. Central Christian Church has paid half of every appointment for therapy and mental health since early 2021. We don't have insurance, so because of this gift, my spouse was able to, to be properly diagnosed and treated for issues that had been going on for years. This is truly life-changing for us, and it likely saved our marriage. Christmas 2021, we were picked along with four other couples to receive a shocking $1,000 donation that was divided from a larger donation. 
We use this for bills and groceries during a very difficult time of job change and family loss. Lastly, we have been greatly blessed by CCA in grant aid for our children to go to school at Central Christian Academy and Preschool. We were very torn between homeschool and private school, and after much thought and prayer, we felt peace with the choice to move forward with enrolling them in CCA. This decision has proved to be the best one for us. Without grant money and financial aid, we simply could not afford this wonderful, godly education for our children. We are forever grateful for the body of believers and faithful givers and the leadership here at Central Christian Church. God bless a thankful family. Uh, this is from Pastor Wade Moore and Urban Preparatory Academy. I begin with a quote from Mr. Fred Rogers. Play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning. But for children, play is serious learning. Play is really the work of childhood. I believe when a child has the opportunity to play safely, it can, it can be one of the highest expressions of human development. It was our goal as we looked out every day on a barren but beautiful field of play to provide our children with equipment that would play more or that would be more enjoyable. We had bats, balls, bases, but something always seemed to be missing. We knew our children needed a playground. We did years of fundraising and ice cream socials to try to raise enough money to provide our scholars with a safe and elegant place of play. Each year we fell way short of any meaningful progress, $380. At this pace, it would take another 10 years to build a playground, but God had a people and a plan. Project Seed and Central Christian Church. Our relationship with CCC has been nothing short of miraculous. Overnight, you all raised enough money to purchase a playground and sent an army of warriors and builders in to build it. Since the dedication of the playground, our children know they have a safe uh, place and equipment to play on and a place to develop their relational and social skills. We are grateful for the, this miraculous, or excuse me, we are grateful for this miracle and the mountains that were removed when God's people come together. God provided and we are grateful. We praise God daily for his miraculous provision through Central Christian Church. Pastor Wade Moore. Amen. You know, I hear those testimonies, and some in this room may feel like there's a, a level of manipulation that's been trying to go on, but that's simply not the case. I mean, we believe deeply that God, God could make millions of dollars appear at our front door any second if he wanted to, because he can make this universe pop into existence out of nothing. But the point of it is this. God has called his people to faithfulness not just faithfulness components of our life, but faithfulness across the board. And just like with Ananias, who was called by God to go to Paul, who was the, uh, Saul and Paul, same person, who was the murderer of Christians, and God says, hey, go to him. And, and Ananias is like, why am I going to this guy? I don't want to go to him, but he is faithful anyway. God didn't need Ananias to go tell Paul what he had in store for his life. But God used Ananias to do that. And God built in Ananias faithfulness as a result of that, an understanding of faith and a deeper relationship with Christ. And so as we call as a church to all of us pooling our resources, and not just our money, but that is included together for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the glory of God, like he is calling you to participate that he might grow you and work in you and minister in you and show his hand in your life. So many people say, I'm not going to do it because I'm holding too tightly to what is in my wallet. 
And I'm just saying that in the midst of that, we are not called to sit and consume, to sit and watch. He calls us to give. He calls us to participate. Sometimes he calls us to receive with humility. But in that, I simply would ask us all, with all of these things, our energy, our homes, our talents, our thoughts, our time, our money, our wealth, all of it, what do you think he thinks about how you use his minus? Is he saying and looking upon you, well done, good and faithful servant? Is he looking at you and will he say to you and to myself, as he did in Luke 19, I tell you, everyone who has, more will be given. But from, one who, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The blessing is not to the one who possesses. The blessing will come to the one who stewards. I'm going to say that again. The blessing is not going to come to the one who possesses, but the blessing, the eternal blessing, is going to come to the one who stewards. Are we good stewards of what God has given to us? The one who uses for the king, the one who spends themselves for the king, the one who takes the gifts of God and hears his voice, knows his will, seeks his will, takes risks and invests for the kingdom, that is the person who will find the blessing of the kingdom of God. And the warning to us in this parable, to all of us who know him and declare him as Lord, are we going to be faithful with all that he has given to us? I told you at the beginning, though, that there's a message also in this parable to the enemies. The message for us as Christians is, will you be faithful? But though the enemies of God, it's a very, very, very clear message. If you're in this space this morning and you were shaking your fist and you were saying, I do not want him to rule and to reign over me, you need to hear the voice and the message that Jesus is giving to you. As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That is a terrifying thing. And I just want you to hear and I want you to know this is a warning that is intended to draw you to him. Because like the nobleman who dealt with the enemy saying, I don't want you, I don't want you, I don't want you, Jesus and we right now are in a season of his favor and his patience. He is being patient. He is letting some shake their fist at him and say, I will not let you rule over me. You will not have anything to say over me. And patiently he waits, and patiently he draws, and patiently he shares the gospel, and patiently the body of Christ says, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, there will be a day his patience will be done. We all need to hear that message, do we not? We need to be reminded, not only for those of us to be passionate about those who don't know Jesus, we go to tell them the gospel, but for those who are sitting in this room thinking, I have more time, I have more time, you may and you may not. Because what the scripture says is this, every knee will bow to the king. Every knee will bow to the king. Some are voluntarily bowing their knee to the king. Those who refuse to bow their knee to the king, their knees will be bowed for them. And that is a warning to all. That is a warning to any who would shake their fist at him and say, I will not have you reign over me. And he wants you to hear that warning. 
He is a good king. He is a good God. He is patient. He is slow to anger. He is merciful and he is gracious and he is just. And he sent his son to die for you. He hasn't returned yet. And so there is time. He is calling you to come to repent. And we want to give you that opportunity this morning. And for those of us who are his, he hasn't returned yet. There's still time for us to invest in his kingdom, regardless of what you have done to this point. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing just a couple of verses very quickly of a song as Ryan comes out and leads us. And as we do so, I would ask that you consider that if you are one who is shaking your fist at the king, that you would consider turning to him and asking for him to forgive you because he will and he will welcome you into his kingdom. So I want to ask that you would please stand with me. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray, and then Ryan's going to lead us. And as we sing this final song, I want to invite our prayer counselors and elders up to the front. And if you want to talk to somebody about giving your life over to Christ, you want to talk to somebody about what even that might look like, we want to invite you to do that at this time. Would you pray with me? Father, you've given us your word. And whenever we come face to face with your word, we are given the opportunity to respond to it. Every one of us is. And we can respond as your children and we can respond and we can see conviction in our own life and we can make adjustments by the power of your spirit and we can seek to be more faithful and we can we, we can follow that, or we can respond by rejecting it and saying, I will have nothing to do with it. Father, I want to pray this morning that we would respond favorably. Your spirit would open our eyes to see that regardless of what this world looks like right now, your kingdom will be established. And when it is finally finished and it is finally established and consummated in all of its fullness. There will be no suffering and hardship and brokenness, and we will live in a planet and a world perfect. That's going to be a good day. I'm thankful for that day. I pray, Father, for your people that we would be passionate and zealous to invest in that day, invest in your glory, in your kingdom. And I pray, Father, for those that would shake their fists at you, Lord, they would see that that day of fullness is coming. And you have made a way. You have made a way to make the enemy your son or your daughter. You have made a way to make the enemy your friend. You've made a way to bring the enemy into your home and sit them at your table and give them all of the riches of your kingdom. I pray that if there are those in this room this morning that are shaking their fist at you, that you would soften their heart, that they would not turn away from this morning still rejecting you as king, but they would lay themselves down and they would find rest in you and peace in you and the goodness and love that you manifested in the work of your son, Jesus. So, Father, I just lay these things before you, and I pray you would help us to be a faithful people. I ask these things in your name. Amen. As we sing, if you want to talk to somebody, 
please take this moment and, and do so.